Welcome back to the Home with Havala podcast. We are so excited you're here. And today we have a word for you from Havala that she spoke at the Pink Conference last fall, 2021. And we know that someone needs this today. Havala empowers us in this episode to identify what God really holds us responsible for. Have you ever asked yourself, what am I responsible for? What are the things that I need to carry day in, day out? And what am I not responsible for? Today, we're going to get clear on that and identify what God has asked you to carry in your own backpack. So listen in as Havla empowers you with a now message for you in this season. Now, for those of you that don't know who I am, I my name is Havala, and I am a wife and a mom. In fact, my husband and I been, have been married for 15 years. Yes, 15 years. I'm amazed. Uh, and I met Ben when I was 26, 27 years old. And so I was ready to be married. I was single and ready to mingle. And it took me a while to find Ben. And so if you're out there and you're like, it is finding, I'm having a hard time finding Prince Charming. I just want you to re- just relax because I always say good meat takes time to marinate and your spouse is probably just marinating. And so they could be also younger than you. He's four and a half years younger than I am. And so I always say, maybe God is hoping that they become legal. Maybe that's why he hasn't brought the spouse to you yet. So, you know, it's all good. But we got married and uh, within five short years, we gave birth to four sons. Yes, we have four boys. I live with five men. So if you wonder uh, maybe why I twitch a little or (laughs) why I'm blunt or whatever, it's because I'm living with five men. Judah's 14 years old. He's kind and compassionate. He's a creative and he really loves to design and think about ways to uh, post YouTube videos and all the things. I just love his creative heart. Hudson is 12, almost 13 years old. And he is, well, he's, he's energetic. He's all boy, but he also is an animal lover. And that dog that you see in our family picture, that's Bear Cunnington. He's a 65 pound golden doodle who joined our family a couple years ago. And he is Hudson's greatest friend in our house. Grayson is the little blondie and he is, uh, he's very similar to me. He's intense. He's got blonde hair. He has a raspy voice. We're both trying to quit smoking. No, I'm teasing, but you know, very similar. And he's a romantic at heart. He is just, he's just a romantic. My favorite story about Grayson is one day he came up to me at seven years old and he said, mom, when am I going to get married? And I said, well, you know, Grayson, it's going to take a while. You're only seven years old. And he goes, okay, well, who am I going to marry? And I said, again, Grayson, I don't know, but it's going to be a while. You're only seven years old. And I said, but you know, Grayson, you can marry me because I'm, you know, I'm mom. I'm an Italian woman. I want him to marry me and live with me forever. And he goes completely silent. And then he looks at me for a minute. And then he gets this kind of frustrated look and he says, mom, I don't want to marry you. I want a woman all to myself. (laughs) So that is Grayson. He is the romantic at heart. And then Beckham is our baby. And Beckham is just 
athletic and fun and always happy. He has been the joy bomb in our house. And the one thing about Beckham that is very clear is that he probably has never heard the word no because he's the baby in the family. Uh, ben and I often will ask ourselves, has Beckham been parenting <laughs> the last couple days, years, whatever, right? So those are our four boys and we are done having babies. Thank you, Jesus. I always say, I don't pray for miracle babies. I pray for miracle college funds. So if you're in there, just extend your faith and maybe we could see a great move of God in our own world. If you have your Bible on you, I want you to turn it to the book of Galatians. The book of Galatians. Now, I, you know, I know sometimes when you're watching these things online, it's like, oh, do I really need to participate? Or do I really need to write? Or can I just listen to this while I put my makeup on? Or, you know, something casual. But I want you to know that there's a lot of importance in us responding to the word. In fact, uh, statistically, if you really do your research, you'll find out that people that actually write the things down as someone is teaching them, they remember 80% of the content. And if they interact with it by answering the question out loud and all those things, then it's even a higher percentage of them retaining the information. So I'm going to ask you to be a little Pentecostal and I'm going to ask you to talk to me even on a screen and yell at me and answer me and turn your Bible and get your notebook out and engage with me because, you know, we only get one year. We only get this year to show up. And so I want you to live it to your fullest. So turn your Bibles to Galatians and I want to pray for us. Can we pray together? All right. Jesus, help. Amen. That's all you need. All right, let's go to Galatians chapter 6. And I'm going to jump over to Proverbs 25 through 28 for just a few minutes to read you something. And then we'll jump right over to Galatians. Proverbs 25, 28 says this. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Like a city whose walls are broken down is a man who lacks self-control. Proverbs is telling us that if we don't have self-control, if we don't have self-management, if we don't know how to steward our lives well, then our world will fall apart. And we will, we will not know what to protect, we will not know how to care for certain things, and we will end up burned out, broken down, anxious, depressed, overwhelmed, because our city, our place of refuge will not be safe. And what I want to do is teach you about safety. I want to teach you about things the church doesn't talk about, but I believe are critical to us being the women that we're called to be in our season. Now, you might be a grandma. You might be a 19-year-old. All of this is going to relate to you because these truths can be adapted to any season of life that you're in. And I want to share some things that I did not learn in church that I'm hoping will save a whole generation of women, uh, and you are one of them. So I was raised in church. My dad was a minister. He was on the road about eight months out of the year. And I have a twin sister and a mom, and we were on the road about six months out of the year with him. So I grew up in a traveling minister's home. And um, I, I really, at the age of 17, gave my life to Christ. In fact, I was a church kid who tried to fit in at church, and then at school I tried to be cool. And at 17 years of age, the I was I got picked up by some guys to go to a party, and one night I'm sitting in the back seat of this car, and as I'm in the back seat of this car going to this party, all of a sudden I hear the Lord begin to speak to my heart, Holy Spirit, and he says this, Havilah, what are you doing? 
I remember my heart began to beat and I realized something was happening in this car and I mean, it's out of the blue. And I know this is God because I'm 17 and I'm not thinking about God. I'm thinking about this party and these guys that I'm going with. But I feel this kind of moment where I need to say something and I hear him say, Havala, you are called to be a leader. You have to get out of here. You've got a call on your life. I didn't know what to say, so I shouted to the guys in the front, can you turn the music down? To which they turned the music down. Now it's dead silent in the car. And I want to say something. I don't know what to say. I'm 17. I've never done this before. So I shout out in the dead silence of this car, I have a call of God on my life. (laughs) To which, if you think that sounds awkward, it was. If you think that sounds painfully awkward, it was. It was dead silent. And I have now shouted out and declared that I have a call of God in my life at 17. And I look over because my identical twin sister is in the car. Well, I begin to cry because how many of you know that when you begin to align with truth in your life, it can really move you. And you begin to realize that I'm not living one way and believing something else, but both of them are are syncing up and I'm beginning to live out loud. And so that night I went public in the car. I went public for my faith. I look over at her, I'm crying, and Deborah is crying, which I know is God because she didn't even know I was going to do this, and now she's weeping, I'm weeping, and then I'm immediately filled with compassion. I tell the guys in the front, you can turn the music down if you want, but I'm going to serve God. This is what I'm going to do. The guys turn, the, the guys drive, and I don't know what's going to happen next. But I look out the window and I realize that these guys had taken my sister and I home without us asking. I think we were, we were no longer fun. And so we got out of the car. We both are wiping our faces. It's pitch black. I wander into the bedroom, into my bedroom. I kneel down by my bed and I say this prayer. God, I'm not much. I'm young. I'm 17. I'm a girl. Don't know how that really fits into your kingdom. And I have no special gifts or graces. In fact, I have learning issues and disabilities. I'm dyslexic. I have reading and comprehension issues. I could not read out loud in high school. You could not read my handwriting. I had my own set of problems. And so I thought, God, I have nothing to offer you that would wow you. But if you can use anyone, you can use me. I'm available. As tears stream down my face, I'm in my bedroom. I'm saying this prayer out loud. And I often wish that I had this angelic visitation and a ladder with angels sending and descending, nothing. How many of you ever said a prayer with your whole heart and put yourself to bed having not experienced anything supernatural? Well, that was me, but you know what I learned? I learned that if you say it with your mouth and you believe it in your heart, it is as good as done and heaven will begin to move on your behalf and awaken that which God started. So I began this journey in Christ. And here I am 17, by 19, I'm in full-time ministry. And by 26, I'm now an ordained minister and a worship pastor and now a teaching pastor. And we have five services on a weekend and I'm teaching every five, every five weekends, all services. And I meet the love of my life, Ben, and we do it all the right way. And, you know, we save ourselves for each other and we go, we get counsel and we get married and I get pregnant. So I figure I'm doing something right. And then nine months later, I get pregnant again and I have my second son and, and I am, I'm cruising through these markets in life of ministry and marriage and motherhood. And then all of a sudden, my car comes to a screeching halt. I am not doing okay. 
I take Hudson to a pediatric appointment. And while I'm in this pediatric appointment, the pediatrician says to me, how are you doing? You know, two babies, how's it going? And I begin to explain to her I was not doing okay. In fact, I was really struggling. She said to me, wow, you seem pretty competent. I'm surprised you're struggling so much. And then she said, it sounds like you have postpartum depression. Now, when she said that, I had never had anyone acknowledge that or say that to me, but I immediately knew she was right. And again, tears running down my face. She says to me, you need to go get help and I will check in with you, but you need to call somebody. And so I, she said, do you have anybody? I said, I do. I had had a friend who was a Christian counselor in town. And so I went to my car and I picked up the phone and with all the courage I could find, I left her a message. I'm Habila. I don't know what's going on. I think I might have postpartum depression. Will you meet with me? About an hour later, she called me. I thought she was very uh, diligent. What I didn't know was that they get concerned about postpartum depression and postpartum psychosis, which is where you harm your children. And so she needed to see me right away. I got in her office the next day and she began to ask me a series of questions. I'm answering those questions as best I can. And at the end of it, she says something to me that rocked me. She said, Havala, out of all the 14 signs of postpartum depression, you have 13 of them. That's exactly what you're struggling with. So I said to her, well, what do you want me to do? Because I'm a leader. I'm a minister. I'm an adult. Tell me what to do. And she says, I don't want you to do anything other than get a good night's sleep and I will see you on Friday. So I spent the next three days trying to get sleep and re restore my body because how many of you know our brains cannot get rid of toxins unless we sleep. It's the only way to rid our brains of toxin. And so I showed up on Friday and I actually showed up every Friday for six months and I sat with her as she walked me through healing, getting my serotonin levels back up and walking me through, through some tools for my postpartum depression. About the six month mark, I am feeling really good. I have gotten over uh, the depression. I've, I have the serotonin working. My kids are alive and vibrant. My marriage is good. My husband, I am ready to go back to work for God. And as I get ready to do that, we have one last session and she looks at me and she says something that makes me want to punch her in the face. That was the exact feeling that I had when she said it. She says, Havilah, can I be honest with you? Now, I think she's going to praise me because I'm a very diligent and powerful person. And, you know, I'm a minister and I definitely should get straight A's for the classes that I've taken with her. But she says something that rocks me. She says, Havilah, you would have been in my office eventually. The babies just got you here sooner. And I looked at her and said, what do you mean? And she said, your life is not set up for longevity. And your babies are fast forwarding this burnout, overwhelmed, checking out, don't want to do my life anymore thing that's coming your way. And the truth was, I knew she was right. Because the more I got married and had babies and my life got fuller, the more I felt like I wasn't doing enough for God. I was disappointing people. My life was passing me by. And then she says this to me, Havala, God doesn't have to abuse you to use you. When she said that, I, I knew she was right. You see, I felt like my relationship with God was, was manic. One minute, if I'm there and I'm showing up and I'm worshiping and I'm praying and I'm doing all the spiritual things and he's the dad that's proud of me and he's, he's giving me promotions and he's, he's telling other people about me. But 
when I couldn't show up or I couldn't do what he wanted me to do or other people were mad because I couldn't do the things they wanted me to do, then he was the dad that was angry or frustrated or sat back and waited for me to get it together. So when she said this to me, I knew that I had some bad Chinese food theology. So I said to her, what do I do? And she said, well, I want to invite you to come to my office every week and there'll be an anonymous group of six or seven women and you are not allowed to know anything about each other's lives. But you can sit every week with me and you can pay to be here, but I'm going to teach you what it looks like to have healthy boundaries in your life. I'm going to teach you how to be here for the long haul. So I knew she was right and I knew that I wanted more kids and my life was not getting easier and I knew I needed to make the investment. So I saved a little bit of money that I had and I would go to Starbucks and I would wait all week long to get my Starbucks and I would wander in her office and for an hour and a half every week, I would learn what healthy boundaries look like, that God didn't have to abuse me to use me and that what he had given me was not too much for me to bear. And I began to understand that a lot of the weight and pressures that I was experiencing was things that God had not asked me to do and he wasn't even wanting me to do and yet I had bought into the religious system of worth and the religious system of purpose. So I sat there for a year and a half. And by the time I walked out, I want you to know my life was radically changed. One of the saddest kind of real things I learned was that in my 30 years of ministry, growing up in a minister's home, becoming a pastor, preaching hundreds of messages, and sitting through podcasts, and I mean, all just kinds of things coming at you, I learned I had never heard one message on this. No one had told me what was the appropriate thing for me to carry around. No one told me what God expected from me. And so more just seemed better and less seemed bad. And that's kind of how I had done it. So what I want to do today is I want to empower you as believers, as women, I want to show you what God holds you responsible for. And the church doesn't talk about it, but I want to talk about it with you. And the reason I want to do that is I want you to be powered in 2021, because who knows what this year is going to hold for us. What I do know is that God wants to show us that what he's given us is not too much and that it is possible for you to live the abundant life without anyone else participating. I'm going to say that again because it's very true and I need you to catch this. I believe it is possible for you to live the abundant life without anyone else participating. So let's jump to Galatians chapter 6. This is Paul. He's teaching the church and he says this. Each uh, Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks that he is something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. If you're taking notes or you have your Bible in front of you and you like to underline or highlight, this is what I want you to capture. The first phrase he says is, carry each other's burdens. Carry each other's burdens. Now, This is not just a good idea. This is a biblical God idea. This is him saying, listen, it is spiritual for us to run to each other and help when we have a burden. Now, what does a burden mean in the Greek? 
The Greek, it means a crushing load, like a boulder that's coming down on us. And without anyone helping us, we will be crushed under the weight of that boulder. So he says it is spiritual to help each other with crushing loads. But then at the end of the verse, it almost sounds like he contradicts himself. He says, but each one should carry their own load. The reason it's so sounds similar, but it's very different is in the Greek, the word load means backpack, daily toil. So he's saying to the church, listen guys, it's spiritual for you to run to somebody and help when they have a crushing load, but it is not spiritual for you to run to somebody to help them carry their daily load, their daily toil. In fact, that daily toil is like a backpack. Now I brought a little backpack with me. I pulled it out of our garage. And this is one of my sons. But what scripture is telling us is, women, pink impact ladies, it is spiritual for you to carry your backpack. It's spiritual for you to carry life. Did you know that life isn't always easy and fun? How many can just give me a, a, an amen? You guys know this. People go, oh, this life is kind of hard. Welcome to adulthood. Can I get an amen? Right? Things are tough. We live in a fallen world. We live with work and things can just be exhausting and hard. And that's kind of part of life. You know, good and bad are happening simultaneously. And it just depends on what gets our focus. And so we have our daily toil and it's saying it is not spiritual for you to give your daily toil to somebody else. It is not spiritual for you to carry your neighbor's backpack simply because you can. In fact, you're interrupting what God has for them. You're not helping them. And for some of you, you paying your adult child's cell phone bill is not appropriate. For some of you, you taking care of somebody's kids uh, your grandkids, when your child should be taking care of them, is not godly. You think it's godly. But I want you to understand that you're interrupting what God has prepared for us and you're taking on too much. You see, it says this, when someone goes through a crushing load, divorce, you know, death, uh, sickness, COVID, these things that are overwhelming and, and can break us and hurt us. It's saying we are as the church to run to them and help them. And so our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures should be there to help. This is why we want to be get, we want to give and we want to serve and we want to love and we want to honor and we want to sacrifice because it's godly for us to run to people and say, I'll give, I'll serve, I'll love, I'll honor, I'll do whatever I can. Why? Because the Bible says it's not just a good idea, it's a God idea. We are called to carry each other's burdens. If you have a crushing load, you do not need to carry that on your own. Just look at me for a minute. You do not need to carry your crushing load on your own. God has given you a spiritual family and it is, it is part of the kingdom of God for us to lean on each other, depend on each other, let, let other people help us is a spiritual idea. But for some of you, you have not been able to help people with crushing loads because you're busy carrying someone else's backpack. This is important. When I go around and I take 
everybody's back. I'm taking my mom's backpack and I'm carrying my dad's backpack. I'm carrying my sister's backpack. I'm carrying my boss's backpack. And I'm carrying those around. Then when somebody has a tragedy or, or something that they need massive help, I'm not available because I have no more money, no more time, no more resources. They've all been spent in carrying everybody's daily toil. And for some of you, this is interrupting the purpose and plan for God for your life. You're so busy enabling other people out of the goodness of your own heart, you can't actually do what God's called you to do and help and rescue people that really need you. And what do I go? What do I do? It's time to start seeing that you are not being obedient to what God's asked you to do and that you're getting a payoff by doing the things that they should be doing on their own. You go, well, I just need to help people. Can I just be honest for a minute? You are not called to be anyone's savior. There's only one savior and he's really good at it. You're called to help, you're called to love, you're called to serve, you're called to sacrifice, but you're not called to be a spiritual adult for another spiritual adult. And the only way that we can become mature in him, lacking nothing the Bible says, is we have to go through trials and tribulations. We have to go through the hard stuff. We have to carry the hard stuff. And if we do that, then our faith becomes complete. Some of you are living with people or you're leading people and their faith is not complete because every time they have a need, you run to them and you solve it for them. And so they don't have any spiritual muscles. They're not carrying anything. They've been taken care of. They're on this soft velvet pillow. And every time they have a need, you take care of it. And yeah, you might feel sacrificial and godly, but you're actually not raising them and not allowing, I should say, not allowing God to raise them in a way that will sustain them. And so I want us to get more obedient to what God's asked us to. So here's what I want us to look at for just a minute. If that means that there are crushing loads and there are daily toils, then are you asking what's in my daily toil? Because that was the first question I had is, if I have to carry my backpack, then what's in my backpack? You see, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, it says, you know, all things are legitimate, permissible. We are free to do anything we please, but not all things are helpful, expedient, profitable, and wholesome. All things are legitimate, but not all things are constructive to character and edifying to our spiritual life. That means you can do it all, but it may not, you, just because you can do it all doesn't mean you should. And just because you can make it work doesn't mean you should. And so really knowing what God's asked you to carry is going to be appropriate. When we carry things we shouldn't be carrying, our life doesn't work. Are you dealing with anxiety? Are you dealing with depression? Are you dealing with being overwhelmed? Are you dealing with feeling exhausted all the time? It could be that you're carrying other people's daily toil and you're worn out. And when we get really healthy, when we figure out what God wants us to carry, life gets so much easier. So what is in our daily toil? Now, I don't often preach with props, but I figured we're online and I'm trying to keep you engaged. And so this daily toil is spiritual for me to carry. The first thing that is in our backpack, and there are three specific things I want you to carry. The first thing is your feelings. <laughs> Everybody say feelings feelings, nothing more than, okay, so that's spiritual. Now you might go, wait a minute, I've been in the church for a while and feelings always seemed as if maybe it's inappropriate, like we're not supposed to let our feelings lead us. How many of you ever heard that, right? I have. Don't let your feelings lead you. You know, your feelings can hurt you. We're not called to be feeling people. We're called to be spiritual people. And so we need to be aware. But what we've done in the church is we've 
We've discounted something that God's given us to give us insight. And for us to actually know what's going on on the inside of us, we've dismissed it. And so what we see is we see people dismissing their feelings or not respecting them. And then all of a sudden they blow up, they blow out, something happens. And we go, we didn't see that coming. But often because it started small and we dismissed it along the way, by the time it came out, it was big and had already grown into something. And so what do feelings do for us and why are they important? Well, feelings are critical because they allow us to know what we feel about life, right? Your emotions allow you to know what you feel about life. And feelings are signals. So, you know, when I got married to my husband, Ben, I didn't realize that there were two types of people in the world. There were those that know how much gas is in the car and there are others that only know when the light comes on aka myself. I only know when the light comes on. My husband would say to me, so, you know, how much fuel's in the car? And I don't know. The light's not on yet. There's plenty. And then he would, he would know, oh, a third, two thirds. In fact, as a female, and I'm not saying this because you might be totally opposite, but in my world, I never checked anything in my car unless the light came on. I never checked the engine, never checked the oil, never checked. I mean, it was just when the light comes on, that's when I fix it. I had no idea that you can actually get in there and figure it out sooner than when you are in an emergency in your car. But that's what feelings are like in our lives. They are the thing that allows us, it signals us to what is going on deep down inside. In fact, I want you to know something. Your feelings, our feelings, my feelings, they have no moral value. Just think about that for a minute. There is no moral value to your feelings. In fact, the Bible says, he separates it. He says, you can be angry and sin not, which means you can have the emotion of anger, but it's what you do with it that the moral compass changes. And so it's really important. A lot of us go, I'm angry. That's bad. I'm scared. Oh, that's bad. Oh, I, I, I'm, I'm grateful. Oh, that, I mean, I'm, I'm a good person. And we start to take these things and begin to label ourselves with the emotions that we feel. And what I want us to do is I want us as a church to begin to see that God made all of us and that our feelings aren't burdens and they're not something to be dismissed, but they're to be acknowledged and respected and to let him use the feelings and emotions that we have to give us insight into our spiritual and, and our soul lives to know where he needs to move and what we need to change. So your feelings give you, they signal you. In fact, you, you, no one has the power to control your feelings. This is important. Someone might say to you, you made me angry. No, I didn't make you angry. I'm not powerful enough to go inside of you and choose anger. You did that. Well, you just need to make me happy. No, I'm not that powerful. I'm not powerful enough to make anyone happy. Most, I mean, most of the time I can't make myself happy. I'm not going to be in charge of your happiness. Well, you know, I, I, you just, you're just scary. No, you feel fear. If I'm doing something that's wrong, you can tell me that, but to label it as this is what you are, this is what you do. No, no, no. That's your feeling and you have to own that. Now, when we own our feelings, we get to go deeper into knowing if I go into a situation and I feel anger, guess what? Instead of me saying, oh, that's bad. I'm a spiritual person. I gotta be a good mom. I don't want people to think I'm a bad mom because I have anger. What if you actually were more curious and you said, 
why am I angry? Well, I just think that, you know, my kid didn't keep up with that kid and my, they must think I'm a bad mom. Okay. So your anger is connected to fear, fear that you're messing your kids up, fear that you aren't a good wife, fear that you're going to lose your job. I don't know what it is, but the fear that the anger is often linked to fear. It's a secondary emotion. So that's the question I have for you. What is God trying to show you about yourself, your thoughts, your behaviors, your choices, your personality that he wants to awaken in you to become a whole and vibrant person and live an abundant life by showing what your emotions are doing? So your feelings are yours. The second thing that's in your bag is your attitudes. That's what's in your yard. So you have your feelings and you have your attitudes. Your attitudes are what you think about life. It's what happens up here. And your attitudes come from your core values and your belief system. So when I think something, I act on that. And that begins to be me. My thoughts create my life, right? The Bible says very clearly, as a man thinks, so he is. So I can know what you're thinking by simply looking at what you do and what you say and who you are. And so your thoughts are critical to growing, but your attitudes usually need some reformation. They need some transition, right? We don't just have a good attitude often. And a lot of times our attitudes, our belief systems, and our core values come from our origin. It's the way our grandma thought. It's the way our mom thought. It's the way our leader thought. And so we just now think that. Have you ever had someone say to you, well, you need to get a good attitude. I grew up with that. And I didn't understand why I couldn't just shift it. I could maybe fake it for a day or a couple hours, but I couldn't change it if I wasn't, if I didn't think very good or I didn't really believe that. Well, the only way to really change your attitude is to go into your core beliefs. You might have an attitude of, you know, it's too late for me. I'm broken. God can't use me. Well, instead of going, oh, I should be a person of faith. I just need to say faith things. God loves me. God's for me. Instead of trying to get it from the outside in, we're asking you to go from the inside out. I want you to begin to challenge by knowing the word of God. The word of God says, I am greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. The world, the, the Bible says that I'm clothed in the righteousness of Christ. So that means everything on the inside, I begin to meditate on and declare and believe. And then that comes out in my attitude. What I think about life, what I think about my who I'm supposed to be, what I believe God thinks about me, it allows me to figure that out. So your thoughts are your attitudes, and they're so important. If your emotions are what you feel about life, your attitudes are what you think about life, and those are critical. So your attitudes teach you your core values. And then lastly, in your backpack, in your personal yard, is your choices. Your choices. Remember this? Life is like a box of chocolates. Well, This is your choice. Every time throughout your day, you get to make choices. Am I gonna eat this one or I'm gonna eat that? Am I gonna go here or am I gonna go here? And these choices are all of ours. In fact, there's this kind of belief system in the world that says you're so powerful that any choice you make, you've made me make a decision. You've made me be in this relationship. You've made me go here. You've made me say this. You know, my boss makes me and my spouse makes me and my pastor makes me. And I just want to say something to you, and this is important. That is the narrative of a victim. And the truth is, no one is powerful enough to make you do anything. In fact, I want to just deconstruct that for a minute. 
Your choices are yours. They're 100% yours. God does not interrupt your choices, no matter how bad they are, no matter how poor they are. He allows us to stay fully powerful. If you think about it in the garden when Adam and Eve were there, if God was going to interrupt anybody's actions, wouldn't you think he'd interrupt Eve? Like, hey, Eve, you do not want apple today. We should not be eating that fruit. But God, in his full sovereignty and his, his pure seniority and, you know, his godship, didn't jump in and interrupt the whole thing. No, no. He had to let Eve act on her free will because he knew that if I don't let her do things out of free will, then I will not really have her heart and it will not be love. It'll be a dictatorship rather than a relationship. And so many of you want God to interrupt. Oh, don't let me marry him. And don't let me say that. And make me stop drinking over here. And, you know, I pray they'll make me not think this. And I'm saying to you, you're asking God to violate the way that he's set it up so that we can be in relationship with him. You're asking him to dictate to you and to make you and to control you. And I'm saying he loves you too much to just be your dictator. God loves you too much just to be some kind of, leader that forces you to do things. He wants to be with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to connect with you. He wants to live your life with you. He's a God that wants to be with us. And so in order to do that, he allows all of our choices, every single choice that's given to us every day, he allows us to steward them and own them without control, without manipulation, without anger. He allows us to lead our own lives. And what we often do is... We want other people to hold our choices. So, honey, you, I can't believe you spent that money. You know, our whole lives are, are a mess and you, you know, I'm, I, our lives are a mess because of you. Well, yes, he made that choice to spend the money, but no one said that you had to merge. No one said that he gets access to your account anymore. No one says that you get to control that. What I'm asking you to do is begin to see that every time you hold someone else responsible for the choices that you have in your life or the choices they've made that affect you, then you render yourself powerless. And if we're really going to talk about it as the church, there's this whole culture in the church that says, I get to control your choices. I'm a spiritual father. I'm a spiritual mother. I'm going to parent you into the kingdom. Did you know God didn't ask us to be spiritual parents? We have kids, my kids under the age of 18, they're my kids and I'm their mom. I'm their spiritual mom and, and their mom. And I get to tell them, this is the choice you're going to make. And this is the attitude. This is what you're going to think about life. And this is what you're going to feel about life. And my kids are going to the age where they're beginning to shift and change all those things. But it is not right for us as leaders to believe that we have the, we have the power to dictate to anybody. You should feel this way. You should think this way and you should make this choice. We are called to be influencers. We're called to inspire people to make good choices, but we are not called to dictate or control or a false sense of leadership when they really, we don't have that power. So the best thing you can do is start to get really clear on what you own. So in my life, 2020, 2021, it's been a crazy year. I had a great year. The reason I had a great year was after I sat with that counselor, for those year and a half. And we went through all of this. I began to understand that my feelings were not wrong, but they were insight and show, just show me what was deeper. And sometimes our feelings need to be healed, but I was not responsible for anybody else's feelings. I was responsible to someone, but not for someone. I was responsible to allow space for a negative emotion that they feel or a positive 
and that I had no control over that. And the last, the, the, the part of me that wanted to control the emotions was, was a false sense of control. And then for other people, I wanted to control what they thought. Or maybe I felt like if somebody was mad at me, well, you know, I need to make it right. I need to make sure they're happy with me because, you know, they, they don't like me and I need to make sure. And can I just say something? You are not responsible for how people think about you. I know you might feel that power and you might even believe that you can control what people think about you, but you cannot. The only thing that you can control are your choices, your attitudes, and your feelings. And when you steward those, life gets so much easier. This is what I've been wanting to share with you wholeheartedly, is that my life, when I have my backpack and I have my thoughts and my attitudes and my choices and they're all inside and I grab these, right, and I carry it around, then I can go through a crazy political world and I can go, that's her choice, that's his feeling, you know, that that's his attitude, but you know what, I'm still stewarding mine. Or I could go through, you know, a presidential uh, season that was just chaotic, right? And I could say, well, that's what they chose and that's what they believe and that's what they feel and I know what I choose and I feel and I believe and I'm not powerful enough to go inside of anybody and make them choose or fear them into something or control them or I can only stay powerful and I can only influence. And when my kids start to say, you know, you're a bad mom and this, their mom lets them do that, then I can say, you know, honey, what you want to choose or what we want to believe here in our house or what I think is really important and I can begin to lead them. But even a sense of control over my kids is very, I have very little control over that. How many of you have a kid and might have recognized that your kids, you have very little control? Yeah, me too. (laughs) And when I begin to lead my life as a leader, I steward my life. Life gets so much easier because the only thing I have to steward is my attitude, my choices, and my feelings. That's all I have to take care of. And I can be respectful to someone when they're being disrespectful, and I can be kind when they're being mean, and I can be joyful when someone's joyful, and I can weep with somebody who weeps, and it says nothing about the control of my life or what I've chosen to do or what I feel about life or what I think about life. When you get clear and you go, well, I I wanna do that, how do I do that? You know how you do it? You stop thinking, I want to do the right thing. And you start knowing, I want to obey God. And that's what Galatians is telling us. You want to obey God in 2021? Then go and carry someone's burden. You know, you can't run a church on people that just want to be there every 20 minutes and head out. We need people to help carry the load of the church. We need people to serve the church and set up chairs and tear down and greet and take care of the kids. These are burdens. These are big deal. This is a lot. But then there are other things that God is saying. You need to carry your own daily toil and stop being offended that she won't take care of that and stop being offended that your mom said that and stop being offended that they think that. It is none of your business. It's none of my business what you think, feel, or choose to do unless I can help. And all I can do is influence you. I can't control you. This is what I want us to do as women. I want us to get powerful. I want to close with this thought. As I began to grow in this in my life, and again, God knew I would have two more kids and I would have to walk through postpartum depression two more times. God knew that I would have to go through seasons of marriage that were difficult and we would have to walk through counseling and figure things out. God knew we would go through the recession and God knew we would lose jobs and God knew that we would have to move to different cities and God knew we would go through all of these things. I'll tell you what, I never lost my faith and my clarity and my confidence, not because I could control anything in the world, but because I knew what I was responsible for, and that was enough. 
The Bible says that when God came in the cool of the day to walk with Adam and Eve, it says that he would walk with them. And I think this is what God wants us to do as women. He wants to go through our lives, the yard in our lives, the garden of our lives. And he wants to say, I'd pull that. You want that to grow. I'd take that out. Let's put a pathway here. And this is what Pink Impact is about. We want to show you that you can grow your life on purpose in God in a vibrant way without the world participating. You get to be powerful because the power of God lives within you. It's not an outside job. It's an inside job. I want to pray for you right now. I I just want you to take a minute and I want you to ask yourself, have I been carrying someone else's backpack? Whether it's been in the right reasons, the wrong reasons, have I been carrying someone's daily toil that they should be carrying and I'm realizing that I am interrupting God's plan and purpose for them? Have I felt like I'm powerful enough to control someone's feelings, attitudes, and choices about me and today I wanna let that go? Or maybe there's a part of me that I'm not picking up my load, I'm not carrying it and I. I thought it was okay to allow other people to take care of me in that way, but I'm realizing I'm not growing up in God. I'm not becoming the leader I need to become. So Holy Spirit, I ask you right now that for some of us, our feelings are dominating us and they are, maybe our feelings feel like they're leading us and dominating us. And I'm asking for supernatural healing in our emotions. Lord, I pray that if there are emotions that are connected to to things in our lives that need to be healed or broken or or broken off or, or brought into a wholeness, I ask that you would do that in us. Lord, for those of us that have had attitudes that are not the attitude we want to have about life, we've thought about certain things and our core values and our belief systems have not been what we want and we haven't understood why we think this about life or think this about God or think this about our future. I ask that you would help us to renew our mind and to change and transform ourselves from the inside out with the help of the Holy Spirit. And for those of us that are making choices and we feel powerless to those moments, I pray right now that you would show us that the choices we make matter. And even if we feel the consequences of someone else's choice, we get to choose how we're going to respond at that moment and we get to stay powerful in every season of life. Lord, I pray that today our burdens would get easier, that your yoke would be light because we are managing and stewarding only the things you've asked us to carry. And when somebody has a burden in our community, Holy Spirit, I ask that we would be obedient. We would not be selfish. We would not hold back, but we would run to help that crushing load, that we would be a strong community of believers to carry each other's burdens. I ask this by the power of the Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. If this spoke to you, and I hope that it did, I have a resource for you. I wrote a whole book on boundaries, and this portion was a very small portion. And if you'd like more of that, we have that available. I just want you to continue this conversation in your life, whether it's your spouse needs it, your kids need it, maybe you need to hear it again. Keep working on this. I believe that healthy boundaries are possible. They're not only possible, they're they're vital for us to live the abundant life. God bless you guys. 
Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode. We hope this message spoke to your heart. And if it did, would you do us a favor? Take a screenshot and share it on social media. Tag us at truthtotable.com so we can share and we can help others hear about the show. We appreciate you guys so much and we can't wait for everything that is coming up. So stay tuned. Go to truthtotable.com. Make sure you're notified, you're subscribed, all the things, and we will see you on the next episode. Thank you.